The following program is a podcast1.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. Yay! This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's time for the Pot of Thunder. Ow! And rock and roll. People! Oh, yeah, the remedy for boredom has arrived. This is the People's Podcast. Sorry, got carried away there. Why shouldn't I get carried away? It's talk is Jericho time, and what a fine time it is. It's a fine time to listen to talk is Jericho. Little Kenny Rogers there. Have you seen Kenny Rogers lately? He looks insane. He's had some major plastic surgery done, and uh, doesn't even look like the same guy. That's what I want to do when I'm like 75. I want to look completely different. And now for something completely different. Today, we got something completely different. On the line, the Miz will be here. Former WWE World Champion and WrestleMania headliner is going to be on this show. What an amazing uh, uh, guest to have. I'm very excited to have him. And I'm very excited to have you, all of you, here with me. I know there's a million podcasts to listen to, and I appreciate the fact that you continue to come back uh, to where it's at. You guys are making the right choice. If you listen to other podcasts, I'm not going to say that. uh, I'm not going to blame you. I'm just going to tell you you're making the wrong decision. (laughs) Listen to this podcast every week and win a unicorn. That's my new uh, contest. If you listen to this podcast every week and tweet me every week on the Twitter, I will make sure that you win a unicorn. Okay? Hmm? Is that all right? Yeah, boy. So uh, last week I posted a picture on Instagram and it was was being cryptic. I was like, I am in... Uh, auditioning for one of the greatest of all time. And I took a picture from the auditioning room and it was like flags of our fathers, sands of Iwo Jima, mystic river. For those of you who who guessed it, yes, I was auditioning for Clint Eastwood uh, for his new movie called American sniper. Now let me explain something about auditions. Super hard to audition. I hate them. I said a long time ago, I'm not auditioning anymore unless it's for somebody huge. Well, guess what? Doesn't get any huger than Clint Eastwood. Can I get a whoop-whoop on that? I mean, absolutely. One of the greatest actors of all time and one of the greatest directors. I don't think he's ever directed a bad movie. I mentioned the, the first three. Grand Torino, Million Dollar Baby, Garden of Eden, whatever it's called, Garden of Good and Evil, whatever. All of those movies are, are great movies. And uh, when you get a chance, when you get the call, and I don't really know how I got it. Somehow I got on their radar and they wanted to, to see me. So... The week before that, I was in Los Angeles, and as I was driving to the audition, after after rehearsing for like two days, uh, they called and said, uh, sorry, Clint's having a meeting with the uh, casting director, so your audition's canceled. Can you come back next week? And I'm like, ah! And it just so happened that I could come back the next week, so I, I rehearsed all week long, and it was for um, it's a movie starring Bradley Cooper. And I had a, it was one scene where he goes into the Army, Bradley, and he meets up with a kind of a... A drill instructor, like a very hardcore, arbitrar, uh, kind of drill instructor that's leading him through all these different, um, you know, I guess drills, which is what a drill instructor would do. Duh. 
so I, I'm in there. I'm very intense, you know. Uh, you know, are you a quitter, boy? You know that sort of thing. And I go in there and deliver, deliver like a really good audition. Like you know, nailed all the parts I wanted to. You know, the, the key with the, with an audition is not even learning the lines because anybody can learn a bunch of words on a paper. It's all about um, you know feeling it and dropping into it and getting into it. So I, I delivered it exactly the way that I wanted to. And then, as they do in an audition, they said, "Oh, that was great. Uh, but can you can you pull back a bit and try it this way?" So you've rehearsed for a week in a certain way. And then they ask you to try a different, which is fine. But the thing is, you get one chance, you know, and then that's why I hate auditioning. Like if I actually had the part, I would try it this way and that way. And you wouldn't even have any pressure. But when you have one chance and it's not like Clint Eastwood sitting in there, he's watching, he will watch the tapes if the casting director decides it's good enough. But there's a casting director and a person reading lines. And like, oh, come on in. It's good to see you. Okay, here we go. And you do the first time. I did the second time. And like, oh, that was great. Great changes. Uh, Awesome. Thank you. And then you leave. So the whole thing is done like in five minutes. And you get zero feedback. You get no laughter if you tell a joke. You get no, you know, any type of coaching other than, okay, try it this way. And that's it. And it's not like, oh, okay, so what are you doing in town? There's no small talk. It's just you get in there and you get out. And you're you're preparing for, like I said, at this point it was probably seven or eight days of preparation of doing the same, you know, 45-second scene over and over again. But it's a very intimidating, you know, situation. And I don't know if I'm going to get the part or not. I mean, I would assume at this point, if, since they didn't call me back, like, instantly. Like, you always think, like, like, like you know, you hear Ashton Kutcher got that 70s show on his first audition before he left the casting room. Well, wasn't the case for me. But I've, I've auditioned many times. As a matter of fact, I wrote in my second book, Undisputed, which I have right here in my hands. Third book, the best in the world at what I have no idea. Comes out October 14th, by the way. So uh, these are all the movies that I auditioned for and did not get a part in. Okay. The Owen, Ohio, The Believers, Beer League, Beer Fest, Into the Blue, The Dukes of Hazard, The Devil's Rejects, Knocked Up, Transformers, X-Men 3, The Longest Yard, Wild Hogs, Meet the Spartans, Shoot 'em Up, The Fog, Gone Baby Gone, and Banana Hammock Boys Gone Bad. No, wait a second. I didn't mean to say that last one. I did get the part in Banana Hammock Boys Gone Bad, actually. But in all those movies that I auditioned for and did not get the part, that's a combined gross of one billion two hundred sixty-five million three hundred sixty-seven thousand and one hundred eighty-five dollars. That's what that's the combined gross of the movies I did not get cast in. I'm like the bizarro Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> so so if I don't get the on the bright side, if I don't get the part in American Sniper and it goes on to become a huge blockbuster, which I'm sure it will, I can now tack that. <laughs> that uh, profits onto the movies that I did not get. Now, I've had some bad auditions. And if you've seen But I'm Chris Jericho, my web series that's up right now on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, you got to go check it out. If you listen to this podcast, it obviously means that you like me for some dumb reason. And I did a, a web series last year that I'd been pitching in Hollywood for like seven years. I came up with it with a friend of mine called Gary Ryder. Sorry, Gary Rideout in Toronto. I was up there doing a play back in 06. And I wanted to do this idea, kind of a Curb Your Enthusiasm, Arrested Development, kind of a mockumentary on what would happen if Jericho got blackballed from wrestling and then went into acting. But when he got into acting, 
nobody really cared that he was Chris Jericho, which is really what happened to me when I left the WWE in 05 and went out to L.A. to study acting. And I had you know great experiences and really learned a lot about playing characters and committing, which really helped me when I returned in 2008. But when I went to audition, I never got a part. And I would go in there with like you know 10 other people that all looked exactly like me to deliver one line for CSI Sheboygan. Oh, these pretzels are making me thirsty. Thanks, next. And I was like, but I'm Chris Jericho. Like, don't I get another chance? Don't I get a... Like, don't I get a buy? And of course I didn't. So I thought, what if I created this web series where I got kicked out of wrestling and then went into acting and, you know, call it, but I'm Chris Jericho. I have to start at the bottom. Nobody cares, et cetera, et cetera. Tried to sell it a bunch of times. Never really worked. And then about a year and a half ago, Gary calls me. He goes, I sold the show. And I was like, what show? He goes, our show. And I was like, you still were trying to sell that? Like, I thought it was done. And no, he sold it to a company called Shaw Cable up in Canada and we filmed it last year, 10 shows in uh, in a week. And super funny, like great cast, uh, some real, real quality people, some with some pretty big names. Scott Thompson from Kids in the Hall and Hannibal was in it. Andy Kindler was in it from Everybody Loves Raymond and Bob's Burgers. I just was with him on At Midnight, uh, which we were doing food songs and his food song was the best. I Want Candy. But I should really have a sensible salad and a handful of healthy nuts instead. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, and then also Colin Mockery from Whose Line It Is It Anyways. Just an amazing cast. We went up there. We banged it out and did these 10 episodes. And we have over a million views right now. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to be at the L.A. Web Fest because we got accepted uh, in this web festival for web series. And I'm going to be there this Friday at the Radisson in LAX at the airport uh, doing a panel talking about how uh, with other actors and, you know, athletes and whatever who have done web series to show, um, you know, kind of how you can be creative and write and do your own stuff on the web nowadays. And that's how we wanted to sell the show to like, you know, Comedy Central or FX, but we ended up doing it as a web series and it was really, really successful. So if you haven't seen it, it's called But I'm Chris Jericho and you can access it at butimchrisjericho.com, butimchrisjericho.com or just Google it and you'll find it. And one of the, the episodes that I actually wrote the script for was called Pirates. And it's based on one of my real-life auditions where I went to, to read this role for a, a movie of the week. You know, like Karen's mom is dying of cancer on Lifetime. And I go in there, and as I was walking up the stairs, there was this big lineup of all these bikers and slovenly-looking people. It turns out they were auditioning for the pirate movie that was being held next door to the Lifetime movie. So I go in there and I'm delivering these really like really deep lines like I'm sorry Karen your your mother's dying of cancer and I, I love you both so much and meanwhile as I'm delivering these lines all I'm hearing next door from this this other room is ar swab the decks matey poop the decks ar and I just want to tell you that I'm really sorry that we're, we're never going to see your mother again but she's always going to love you ar be dar ar be dar and it was getting like you know can you not hear these pirates next door and the casting director's like oh that's not in the script. And I was like, I understand that, ma'am, but can totally hear these people yelling and screaming next door as I'm trying to deliver like this really serious line. She's like, well, you just got to deal with it. And so it continued on and it was just got worse and worse and worse. And I got so flustered. I was just like, you know, screw this. I'm out of here. Almost dropped an F-bomb. That's how mad I was. And so um, I wrote this episode called Pirates, which deals exactly with that horrible audition that I had, which just fits with the horrible auditions that you can that you always have because they never give you any feedback. So auditioning. Jericho does not like auditioning. Ever. 
And maybe Clint Eastwood will hear this podcast and go, well, I thought your audition was great. You got the part. So, Clint, if you're listening, uh, you know, do me a solid. Make my day. <laughs> go ahead, Clint. Make my day. Give me the part. Do it. Yeah, boy. All right. Coming up next, it's The Miz. All right. On the line, I've got my old buddy. The Miz is here. The big mouth from the from the West Coast. What's going on, man? I don't know if it's as big as yours, though. I mean, come on. I, mean, I don't know who has a bigger mouth, The Miz or Chris Jericho. That is true, since, since you've stolen everything from me throughout the course of your career. Well, you know, I mean, you know, when uh, when you're when you're growing up in a, as a kid, growing up in uh, in Palmer, Ohio, watching uh, watching you know Chris Jericho, uh, I guess you tend to take things from uh, from the great ones. You know, you take things from you know the Rock, the Austin, the uh, the Hulk Hogan's, and the Chris Jerichos. <laughs> See, there you go, man. So you're already putting me over. That's the most you've ever put me over in the entire time we've been friends. I know you probably you probably were expecting me to uh, basically like you know crap all over you, but I said you know what I'm gonna be nice. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say okay, you know what? There you go. It's funny too. I was expecting to have to turn my headphones down too because every time I hear you on a, a radio interview, you're so loud. Yeah, I usually uh, I usually yell so uh, everyone can hear me. Uh, I've always gone by the uh, the rule of if a uh, if like a drill sergeant, uh, sir, yes, sir, you know, make sure everyone can hear you. <laughs> you know, it's funny though. Like uh, over the course, especially over the last. I don't know, three or four years, you were one of WWE's go-to guys whenever there's promotion to be done or radio interviews to be done. I know promotional tours. You have a pretty strong work ethic when it comes to doing those extracurricular uh, activities. Yeah, it's one of those things that I, I guess it's always been uh, one of those the things with me that I've always said I, I will not uh, say no. I will always say yes to everything because you never know what it's going to lead to. Mm-hmm. You know, you never know uh, if a radio interview, a person is going to see you and say, oh, my God, like, this guy's amazing. I want him on. I not only want him on a radio show, but I, I want him on his own radio show, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, or if you go to a TV appearance, oh, man, he was so good on this. Maybe he can host this for me. Or if you go do something on a TV show and you're great at it, guess what? You have a reoccurring role. So you never know what you're going to get. The smallest thing could, could mean the, the biggest thing later on in life. So I've always said, you know what? I'm going to make the best of it, no matter if it's at 6 a.m. or 4 a.m. If I have to go to Saskatchewan at 4 a.m. and do a radio interview, guess what? I'm going to do it because you never know where it really is going to lead to. I mean, I imagine you've had the same thing happen to you where, you know, you did an interview and all of a sudden now it's not what you know, it's who you know. And since you met that person and they liked you, they put you on a show and uh, and then it led to that. Yeah, absolutely. Has, has that happened for you? Did you ever get any... Uh... Anything from, from doing a radio interview, like a, a different part or a different show? I uh, Actually, my SiriusXM radio show, I, uh, I went to go do the SiriusXM Fantasy Football League, and all it was supposed to be was just go there and do this league for them. It's a celebrity league. And I uh, went there and did the league, and uh, right after the show, the, the executive came up from Fantasy uh, Radio, SiriusXM Fantasy Radio, and said, listen, we'd like you to have your own show. Would you like to do that? You did so well here that we want you to your own show. And I was like, are you kidding? This is this is like a dream come true. I've always wanted to do radio. I remember when I was a uh, when I was a kid growing up uh, uh, in middle school, we had to take these like standardized tests, mm-hmm. and then after the test, we had to tell teachers what we wanted to do with our lives. And I remember looking at a sheet of paper of like what what you could be, and I was like, oh man, a radio disc jockey. That'd be something I'd want to be. And then I saw how much they got paid, and I was <laughs> like, well, maybe not. 
Yeah. Yeah. Then the reality came crashing down. Exactly. You know, it's funny though. I mean, that's one thing that you've always had from the moment you came into the WWEs. You've always had a good command of being on camera, well spoken. Obviously, um, you know, like you said, good, good on radio interviews. Good, good for you know promotional things. Now, how did all that start? I mean, obviously, I mean, how, like you started in the real world. But how did you get that part? You grew up in Parma, Ohio, like you mentioned. How does a kid yeah. from Parma get into one of the biggest TV shows in the country at, what, 18, 19 years old? Yeah, I was, uh, I was 20 years old. Well, 19 when I first started trying out. But I was, uh, I was in college. I was at Miami of Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't really – I was enjoying college, but I was enjoying the classes. I think that's basically the standard for uh, anyone that goes to college. Yeah. You basically love going out and partying and being with your friends. But you hate all actually classes. studying, right? Exactly. So I was watching the real world New Orleans on television, and I saw that you could try out. And mm-hmm. so I made a video with uh, all my fraternity brothers, and uh, nobody else wanted to try out besides me. I don't know why, but uh, I everyone helped me out and tried to make the best video possible. And about uh, I sent in the video. About a month later, I got. Uh, uh, the second, uh, the second audition, if you will. So you send in a video, and if you make it to the next round, you know the next round is a 50-page application, basically asking everything and anything about your life, like what's your parents like? Um, are you gay or straight? Uh, what do you think about gay or straight? What do you think about people with diversity? What do you think of this? What do you think of that? Like everything and anything that you possibly could imagine being asked, you are asked in this 50-page application. Mm-hmm. After the 50-page application, you go on to the next round where it's a Back in my day, we didn't have like uh, cell phones that had cameras on it. Right. So I had to have my own video camera, set the video camera up, and have a speakerphone where they would ask me the, the, the questions, and I would have to answer it into a, a camera. And so that was the next round. And then, and, the then, next and, round. Then, and then send the tape back to them? Yeah, and then okay. send the tape back to them, and send the tape, video, VH, the VHS tape back to them, right. and uh, <laughs> that's, that's where we were at that time. There was no Skyping. Right. So, so archaic, like eight years ago, right? I know. I know. It was like 13 years ago. But, yeah, oh. I mean, it's, it's incredible how fast, you know, things, things turn around. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and so did that. And then I did do another round just like that with another person. And then I had to drive to Detroit where I had an in-person interview. And while I was doing this in-person interview, like right before, I had to meet him at this hotel so I drove my, my 1988 Firebird, which barely made it, by the way, and <laughs> spend my own money, my own gas. By the way, I'm a college student. I don't have money. I yeah. don't have anything. You know? So right. I'm driving up there on my own dime on a school night, which probably wasn't the smartest idea, but it was kind of smart because I made it. But you know, what if I wouldn't have made it? So <laughs> drove up there, uh, met, with, uh, met with a producer, uh, met with uh, another interviewer. Uh, but before I met with that interviewer, uh, I had to wait for like 20 minutes. So what do you do when you wait for 20 minutes? You find people to talk to. So I found like these 15 girls that were having like this this kind of, uh, I guess, birthday party. Uh-huh. That were, and they were all like my age. They were all like 19, 18, 19, 20. So we're all sitting there just talking. And all of a sudden the girl comes down. And I didn't really realize it at the time. But it looked really good on my part because I'm sitting there with 15 girls. And the lady comes down and says, are you Mike? And I'm like, oh, yeah, nice to meet you. Uh, these are my friends, blah, 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 blah. I was like, did you just meet these girls? Yes, I did. 
So, uh, so it was kind of cool in that sense. And then I went up and did that interview. When I did that interview, uh, this lady asked everything and anything. Like, my parents got a divorce when I was in fifth grade. It never really affected me at all. Like, it was just like, <laughs> yeah. okay, I get, I get one more Christmas. I get one more birthday. But when this lady <laughs> talked to me, I was thinking about it. I was, it was like a psychiatrist was, was dissecting my brain. And I had no idea what to think or how to be, how to act. I remember driving home going, oh, my God. What is wrong with me? Like, there's got to be something wrong with me. There's something wrong with my life, blah, blah, blah. And uh, after that interview, three months go by, and I thought I didn't make the show. I was so pissed off. I wanted to call them back up and, and, and give them a piece of my mind for not picking me. But uh, then I get a call uh, from one of the, the guys and says, hey, are you with your fraternity brothers? Yes. Go get a shot. Okay, I get a shot. You're going to be on the casting special of the Real World Road Rolls um, show. And I was like, oh, my God, what does that mean? It's like, mm -hmm. you're not on the show yet, but you'll be on the casting special. And if you make it past the casting special, you'll be on either Real World or Road Rolls. Oh, so wow. for the first time ever, they go into a Palm Springs. Uh, they send us all to Palm Springs, like 26 of us to Palm Springs. Mm -hmm. Only time they've ever done this and probably the last time they ever will because it wasn't smart on their part. I get there. <laughs> Everyone's talking about like abortion, the uh, government, and uh, and I'm just like, listen. When I first meet people, I don't sit there and talk about abortion or or racism or right. diversity or or this or that. I sit there and just talk about regular, you know, you shoot the, shit, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I'm I'm sitting there like, okay. So uh, I, uh, I I go there. I talk. I talk to everybody. Talk to everybody. And uh, finally, after three days of just nonsense and telling them that this is the fakest thing I've ever seen in my life, they, they came up to me and said, actually, we agree with you. And uh, congratulations, you're going to be a part of either Road Rules or Real World. And uh, two months later, I was in the house on uh, the Real World Back to New York. So it took about eight months for me to, to get on the show of, of casting and stuff like that and a really bad semester of college. Right. But, uh, you know, the kid from Portland, Ohio, just literally went out on went on a whim, you know, and and sent in a video. So, and, uh, so eight it, later, I'm, I'm on the real world. When you, when you get on the real world, is it is it kind of like wrestling? I mean, it, it, do they tell you, okay, we want you to play this character, or we want you to play this part on the show, or do they just let you guys be and whatever happens happens? No, I think I think the way it goes is they kind of saw who I was, and with all the interviews they did, they they're like, all right, this guy is is basically like this. Mm -hmm. And basically, I was the token all-American frat boy um, that really never uh, moved out of Parma, Ohio, and uh, wasn't really uh, subjected to diversity or any kind of, uh, he wasn't around, you know, gay people or, you know, he was always around straight people. So, yeah. that, like, he was very, uh, like, a person that didn't know, know himself or who he was, and, uh, and they wanted to see how I would, uh, I guess, blossom in, that, in the melting pot of New York, right. this, this diverse group. So that's kind of the character I played, which was basically me, but I guess I am a character in my own self. I think everyone is a character in their own right, you know? Yeah. So they kind of pick people who are strong in who they are. Um, and so, yeah, I went on The Real World, and I kind of, it was kind of like that. They did not tell me at all what to say, what to do. Um, they asked me to repeat myself. Um, the only thing they, they would ever do was uh, we would have interviews every Sunday. Yeah. Every Sunday, they would ask me questions about my week, and they would tell me to say, talk in present tense. So they would be like, all right, Mike, so you and Coral got into it this week. And I'd be like, yeah, you know, 
true coral. Like, why is she being such, uh, you know, right. to me? Why is she being like this, 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 this? And then that's where you'll see stuff. So, so they never asked me to do anything. Like, it's the realest show on television. Now they got, like, scripted reality, which I can't get into because it's just, you can kind of tell that it's, it's scripted. Well, yeah, you know it's not real. But so for you, yeah. so how long were you guys in the house for? We were in the house for five months. Uh, five I, months? Guess, yeah, five months. But get this. Guess how much I got paid. <laughs> what? Guess how much. I got paid. 50 grand. Per month. $1,000 a month. What? And uh, by the way, I, I would have done it for free. Of course. Done it for free. But I got paid $1,000 a month. Like, wow. I mean, I was like, wow. And I was living in New York City. I was broke. <laughs> I was in debt. Like, uh, you know, credit <laughs> cards were spent up because I was like, I'm going to make the best of this moment. I'm going to make the best of what I'm doing. So that's exactly what I did. So did you, uh, obviously, I mean, I'm not sure if the show was on anymore, but at a certain point in time, that was like one of the hottest shows in the country. Did you instantly, yeah. were you instantly recognized and become almost a celebrity? Dude, I, uh, I kind of made a bad impression on my first episode. Uh, the, uh, the first episode, I basically sit down with uh, two African-American people and I tell them that like uh, all this nonsense about where I'm from, uh-huh. And they got offended by that. So I became off almost as a racist <laughs> uh, and almost as like a just ignorant person that had no idea about any culture or anything. And I offended these two African-American people. So when I get back to Cleveland, uh, five months have gone by. And when the first episode airs, that's, that's, that's like nine months ago. So I'm a completely different person than what I was in nine months. So during the show, I basically live and I learn and I, I, I kind of uh, come into my own and uh, I end up being really good friends with those people. And it was Coral and Malik. And I ended up becoming really good friends. I learned a lot by the culture, a lot by everything. Right. But you don't see that in the first episode. So the first episode comes out and in Cleveland, I remember I'm listening to the radio and a guy going, I better not see this guy. This guy's going to get killed. Like, I hate it. How can he make us look so bad? Finally, we get someone from Cleveland that's on a, on, on a show that we can sit there and watch and be proud of. And this guy goes and makes an ass of himself and is an absolute racist. I hope I don't see him. And then people were calling in saying that they better not see me. Uh, I'm going I'm to whoop, whoop his ass, blah, 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 blah. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my God. Like, I'm not going to be able to do anything in Cleveland. So, literally, I left Cleveland for about uh for about a month so it all can settle down and i moved uh, in with my grandpa in in florida because i didn't know what was going to happen i was i was not necessarily afraid for my life but i was i was i was scared to, to walk out the door because <laughs> i didn't know what was going to happen you were so a I heel right off the bat i was i was <laughs> i was a complete heel off the bat but in four weeks people learned that okay this guy is pretty cool and by the end of the show um, I kind of, I guess you could say I became the star of the show and became, uh, the person that was talked about and, uh, the person that got on more challenges than, than mm. anybody because, because of, uh, the character. They're interesting to watch. And now is that how you got, is that how you got into the WWE through, through, uh, real world? No, I, uh, actually, after I was, uh, done with the real world, I created a character called the Miz on the real world. Uh, people always said like I did it before, but I didn't, it was, it was just an organic thing since nobody liked me on the real world and I was an instant heel, I kind of portrayed a wrestling character called The Miz, where I would tell everyone everything, anything that I felt, and if they didn't like it, I would blame it on The Miz. And so It was, it was like your alter ego. 
Exactly. Yeah. So, so when the Miz came out, um, everyone started liking the Miz more than they liked Mike. So I just ended up being the Miz, the Miz, the Miz, the Miz, the Miz. <laughs> and it was funny. The Miz was only on two episodes of The Real World. But when I would go out, uh, you know, out in Cleveland or out in L.A. or out anywhere, everyone would be like, the Miz, the Miz, the Miz. It, was, it made such an impact that I, that I went on a, another challenge. Mm -hmm. uh, it was called the Real World Road Rules uh, Battle of the Seasons at the time. And I went on that challenge and I said, I'm, I'm going to portray this character again. And once I portrayed that character again, I said, all right, I went back to Cleveland, Ohio, and I asked myself, well, what do you want to do with your life? And I remember seeing on my shelf an action figure of The Rock that the cast members got me mm -hmm. um, after the show. And I said, you know what? I'm going to be a WWE superstar. I've always wanted to do it as a kid, but when you're a kid growing up in Palm, Ohio, that's a far dream. You're not, you're not, you know, sure. you're told too many times that you're not six foot five. You're not 300 pounds. You're not athletic enough. You're too small. You're too this. And you start believing it. So what yeah. do you do? You go to college. After college, you go back to Cleveland and you get a family, you get a job, and that's what you're supposed to do. But once I got in the real world, I said, you know what? I can do anything I want with my life. Anything. What do I want to do? What about, oh, what was my dream? And I said, you know what? I want to be a WWE superstar. So I went on, went on Google and I grew up an independent wrestling school and uh, found one in Los Angeles, California, uh, run by Rick Bassman called Ultimate Pro Wrestling. Yeah. Uh, paid my $2,500 and uh, started <laughs> learning the uh, art of professional wrestling. Wow. So you had to pay, the, even though you had some notoriety and some fame, they still made you pay the full price. Yeah. It was actually the full price was $5,000. Oh, okay. They give you a deal. Said he, he was going to give me a deal since I was I was from the real world and stuff. <laughs> so I mean, so you go, so you had some training beforehand, and then how did you make the jump from from Rick Bassman's training camp to getting into the WWE? So I did the independence for about three years, like and, and independence by me. I was trying to get to Japan, but uh, Japan would never take me hmm. because at the time they just wanted big guys. Right. And, uh, you know, and I was like, all right, great. And I, and I wasn't that good to, to begin with, you know, I mean, I was, I was, I was learning the art, but you know, you can only learn so much yeah, you're just... doing practices every day. Sure. You're and so I would try to get, and, you know, Justin Roberts actually was the first person to give me my get, uh, give me gigs over at, uh, IZW over in uh, Phoenix. Oh, really? So I started, started doing shows there. I did a couple shows in Boston and then I did some shows for UPW and uh, while I was doing that, I was also doing the challenges to make a name for myself. I did about five challenges where I said, you know what, I'm just going to talk about The Miz, I'm going to be The Miz, and hopefully WWE will see it, and they'll call me, and, and they did it. What do you mean, you, you, you were still on Real World at the time? What do you mean you were doing challenges? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was, I was still doing the Real World those challenges. Oh, you did another show. Doing, while doing wrestling, yeah, while do, another show. It was like a sister spin-off show where they... they they put us up against each other, uh, Real World and Road Rules, which are two sister shows, put us up against each other, and we challenged with, against each other in, like, certain kind of challenges. I got gotcha. you. Like, so you're playing the – gotcha. Like, skydiving or, like, bungee right. cord jumping, but they make games out of it. So, so But you were playing games. the Miz on that, trying to get as much exposure as, as your wrestling character as you could. Exactly. So every time I was on there, I want to be a WWE superstar. I want to be a WWE superstar. But WWE never became calling. I would do dark I – would, I would go – to a staple center and try to get dark matches and they would never even give me dark matches. And uh, I was like, God, don't they, don't they know like how big of a star I am? Like, God, you know? <laughs> but I would always go there being humble as always. Um, but they never came calling until uh, tough enough came out. And I tried, I actually wanted to try out for tough enough before, 
and they wouldn't let me because it was on MTV, and they, they said they wouldn't allow me to do two shows on MTV. And I said, fine, I won't do any more challenges. They go, yeah, but still, we're still not going to put you on another show uh, on MTV. Back then, they didn't do that kind of stuff. Like, now they don't care. They'll put anyone on anything. Yeah. But back then, they just wouldn't do that. So I had to, I, I had to wait and wait and wait until, uh, you know, a, a guy called me. Uh, uh, what's his name? Bailey. Uh, something Bailey. Uh, called me up and uh, and said, "Hey, we tough enough is happening. Would you like to try out?" And I was like, "Oh my God, are you kidding me? Am I allowed to try out?" And they're like, "Yes, this year it's on the CW. Uh, you know, it'll be uh, during SmackDown, and you can try out if you want to." And I was like, "This absolutely, I will be there." So I went to the tryout, and the tryout was on Venice Beach, and uh, we had to do these obstacle courses. We had to do cut promos. And uh, after doing them, like, I saw all these big guys and everything, but I had one of the fastest times in the obstacle course. I had one of the best promos. So I was like, I can actually get, make this distinct mm -hmm. if they're looking for a type of person like me and uh, if they get rid of the whole real-world nostalgia because I, I do realize that uh, in the independence, real-world is like a gift. People are like, oh, my God, you know, I'll, I'll sign you up because people will come sure, to see you in the real-world. When you're in WWE it was kind of like a negative because it's like, Oh, you're, you're not in the fraternity of, of, of wrestling. You're in a fraternity right. of reality star. Well, I, like so, I, I, I didn't know that you had done independence and you had actually trained. Like, I can't remember. We just, I can't remember what they thought, what I thought, but I thought maybe you'd just come in from real world as some kind of a, you know, now you want to try and be a wrestler, but I didn't realize you'd actually been doing it for the last three years or whatever. Yeah, I think that was the uh, that was the what everyone thought. The consensus. I, I, mean, I wasn't yeah. a guy that's gonna put it up sign on. Like normally, I would brag and boast and da da da. But when you come to WWE, you're you're taught to uh, at least when you're in the independents, you're taught to be very respectful. Uh, you know, speak when spoken to. Right. You know, you know, shake everyone's hand, say hello, make sure you tell them your name, but don't say too much, don't bother people. So that's kind of the mentality that I had. So I didn't tell anyone that I was on the independence uh, wrestling that I was doing it for three years before then. Mm -hmm. uh, I just kind of went there and, uh, and kind of just, just did it. So how hard was it for you when you first came in the WWE locker room? Were you accepted or were you kind of shunned? Yeah, I was from tough enough. There's no way I was going to be, I was going to be accepted at all. Um, you know, it, it just, it kind of felt like, uh, you know, when we were on tough enough, we didn't actually change with you guys, but they gave us our own locker room. Uh -huh. Um, and so I didn't really uh, get to get a feeling that people really uh, accepted us or wanted us to be there. As a matter of fact, I think people hated us because we took another segment from the show that could have been going to someone that's been working their entire life mm -hmm. uh, to being a WWE superstar. And then here comes these reality kids on a reality show uh, trying to be, get a, a contract. And then, like, a huge firing happened during Tough Enough. Like, 10 people got fired and we were like, oh, my God, great. We're <laughs> going to take one of their jobs of their friends. Right. They're really going to like us, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so it was a hard time, you know? It was one of those situations where we weren't accepted, we weren't liked, uh, and people, people didn't want it. But we were, we were kind of a group. We were a close group on the Tough Enough. And we all said, you know what, we'll just stick together and uh, we'll do the best we can, and uh, hopefully one of us, well, one of us will definitely get a contract. And I honestly thought it was going to be me. Who ended up after the last? At the last thing, like I remember, we had a boxing, uh, a Dixie dog fight for at Armageddon, where we were going to be on a pay per view, and it was me versus Daniel Pewter. Who Daniel Pewter was right. like an MMA guy, like he was talking about MMA, and I was a reality star. 
And I remember him like talking about the sticky dog fight and we were doing an interview and he's like, yeah, I've been training and da da da. And I wasn't going to tell him I was training, but I was, I basically just said I was watching Rocky videos the entire time getting ready for the fight, you know? So, uh, just to, just to make everyone laugh, but, uh, we get in there and I basically beat the crap out of them. And, uh, and I end up thinking that I, like granted going in there, he, he had the, the, the upper tier because he put, uh, um, angle in like a Kimura lock. That's right. Yeah. He was like, like some kind amazing. of an amateur wrestler, a shoot fighter or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and everyone was amazed by this. So he had the upper hand. Everyone liked him the most because he was basically doing that. And then we were also told that we weren't allowed to get people to vote for us. For instance, we weren't allowed to get sponsors. No, oh, okay. When he walked out of the ring, he had MySpace.com all over. By the way, back then, MySpace was the place. There was no <laughs> That's Facebook. Right. There was That's no right. Twitter. There was no Vine. There was nothing like that. Yeah. There was no, I don't even think there was YouTube yet. There was just <laughs> MySpace. And he had MySpace written all over him. He had MySpace sponsor him, but we weren't allowed to have sponsors. And so then, uh, after the Dixie Dog fight with the last vote, he ended up winning. But, uh, you know, uh, John Laurinaitis, as well as Tommy Dreamer, who was the talent relations at the time, basically said, uh, listen, we, you didn't win, but we'll give you a developmental contract to come down to Deep South Wrestling in Atlanta and, uh, and train down there. And if you make it down there, then, then you'll get it. And so I had time to think about that because I was like, okay, right now I'm not on TV. What am I going to do to keep myself relevant in the TV world? Because what I wanted to do was I wanted to bring everyone from MTV that was watching me over to the WWE yeah. to show that I can move the needle and I had value. So I said, okay, I'm not going to go right now. Give me one month because another challenge was happening, another real world challenge on MTV. Yeah. So I could do this challenge, and then while I'm training down at Deep South, I'll be on TV the entire time, basically getting noticed and getting notarized. So I did the challenge, and then right after, uh, it was like July, I moved all my things and moved to Deep South Wrestling and uh, started training under Bill DeMott. And the rest, they say, is history. <laughs> we'll, be yeah. right, we'll be right back with more talk. Is Jericho with The Miz, and we'll talk about his WWE experience and when he was the world champion right after this. So, DDP Yoga. Here's the deal. You've got to get in on this if you haven't already. I've been preaching about this since I started this show. I use it, and believe me, trust me when I tell you, this is a great workout for any age at any level. DDP Yoga is easy on the joints. It builds strength and flexibility, and it's really good for your heart. Good cardiovascular workout. Diamond Dallas Page created DDP Yoga after he got hurt wrestling. It saved his career. People! He went on to win the world championship three times. People! And now he's sharing this great workout program with all of you people for a very special price. Check out the deal on the Max Pack. It's got 15 workouts designed for all ages and skill levels. You get the DVDs, a grid chart to track your workouts, a nutrition guide, and a poster to help you remember the 12 core positions in the workout. You can even download the MP3s so you can work out wherever and whenever you want. DDP is making it as easy as possible for you to get in shape and stay in shape. I know I do this in my house. I do it in my hotel room. I do it on the tour bus. I do it wherever I want. 
and I don't have to try and find a gym. I don't have to worry about taking classes. I do it all on my own with the help of DDP Yoga. So go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho to take advantage of a special offer only available to all of you loyal and lovable Talk is Jericho listeners. That's ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. But this offer is not going to last forever. Go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. That's J-E-R-I-C-H-O. And take advantage of it now. That's ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Daddy, where do babies come from? Uh, well, uh... Honey? Mommy went to the store. Oh, well, you see, um... Well, there's a mommy and a daddy, right? Right. And see, when they call Geico, uh, they could save a bunch of money on car insurance. Oh, really? And that makes them happy? Yes, that makes them very happy. That's good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we could have this talk, sunshine. (laughs) Geico, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer. You're listening to Talk is Jericho. Welcome back to Talk is Jericho, talking to The Miz, who is explaining just how hard it was when he first got into the WWE. Did you not get, like, banished from the locker room or something like that when you first came in? Yes. Thanks for reminding me. Thanks for helping me out (laughs) in those times. I appreciate it. You know, you think my good buddy Chris Jericho would get me out of getting kicked out of the locker room. Yeah, it's like an an Oprah interview. I want to go to those deep emotions. Yes, the deep emotions. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I did get kicked out of the locker room. It was um, I. Uh, it was a stupid thing by me. So I'm uh, I'm in the locker room. There's there's nowhere to really go. You know, there's nowhere to, um, to put your stuff. Yeah, down. Spa- you know, space is very rooms, space is very cramped. You know, you would think as a WWE superstar and in the biggest you know you know traveling you know I Big guess you could company. say circus, the, yeah. entertainment conglomerate that that we would have an amazing immaculate locker rooms. That couldn't be further from the truth. All our locker rooms are like cubby holes. So we all have to squeeze in there. And, uh, and so it was one of those small you know, locker rooms. I sit down. I start eating some chicken. As I'm eating the chicken, uh, someone goes, hey, you're spilling chicken all over my bag. Now, in my mind, I wasn't spilling anything because I still was in that mode of, okay, I have to respect everyone, make sure you don't get anything on anything. And then it kind of escalated. It got all over everyone's bags and this, that, and the other thing. And I thought, I was, I thought everyone was joking. I thought it was a joke. <laughs> so I literally walk out. I, I, ha, 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 I walk out. I start watching uh, my match pack um, just, you know, because that's right, what you do when you're, you're brand new. You watch your match pack. You try to figure out what you did wrong and how, you, how good you are. All of a sudden, I hear, and uh, I get literally yelled at worse than I've ever been yelled at in my entire life. Uh, I couldn't believe it. I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, I mean, the veins were popping out of his. Who was it? Was it Ben? Was it Benoit? Yeah, yeah, Ben. Ben was out of his out of his veins. He was so angry. I was like, "Oh my, I'm sorry. I I didn't mean it." I I, I, and I was stuttering. I had no idea what to do. I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, I just got up in the WWE. I try to be as respectful as possible, and you know me, I'm a loudmouth. I like to talk. But when I first came up, I wasn't a talker. But everyone assumed that I was the character that I was playing right. on the show. And so it was kind of one of those uh, bad situations. And, uh, yeah, I get called up and I, I get kicked out of the locker room. And it was <laughs> at first, actually, this is actually what happened first. So he goes, he goes, oh, and so the next day he goes, hey, Miz, uh, you know, um, 
you're not going to be kicked out of the locker room, but you just know that, that what you did was terrible, blah, 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 blah. I was like, okay, yes, sir. The next day comes by, he goes, you know what? Uh, you're kicked out of the locker room. Get your stuff out of the locker room, but you're only kicked out on, uh, on live event days, not on TV days. So I was like, okay, great. So the next day I come to TV, I put myself in the locker room. Miz, uh, let me talk to you. Uh, you know, uh, people have been talking, rumbling, and uh, everyone thinks that you should be kicked out of the locker room uh, for TV as well as live events. So I was kicked out of the locker room for like six months. Uh, and it was terrible. It was horrible. I would find ways, like, you know how Matt Stryker got kicked out of the locker room and he would do it right in front of people? He would change right in front of people? Yeah. Me, I said, screw that. No one's going to know that I'm kicked out of the locker room. I'm going to hide and find out my own little locker room, my own little personal locker room. The only problem is finding a bathroom backstage that isn't that, that's in a locker room and that yeah. isn't in a locker room is very, very difficult. I remember one time I had to go out into the audience in order to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I remember a little kid going, I, I'm using the restroom, a little kid going, I think the Miz is in there. And I'm like, this is, this, is, this is the lowest of the lows. <laughs> well, you know, it was probably a trial by fire. They wanted to, because I wasn't there at the time, but I remember hearing about it. I think they were trying to see if you had, you know, what it took to be involved in the business. Now, after being kicked out of the locker room for six months and being ostracized, what, what, when did you finally start feeling that you're getting accepted by the guys? I think I got, you know, I honestly didn't feel that I was getting accepted at all by the guys. You know, sometimes <laughs> I still feel that I'm not accepted by the guys. But in all honesty, it's like it was like a, a fighting battle for me. Mm-hmm. I was trying so hard to just be accepted and be accepted. Um, it, it, it took a while, you know. It, it, it was probably not until um, after I got on Raw when I split up with John Morrison and I started going after John Cena was when I really, I think, started, you know, showing people exactly what I could do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you guys you had a... I mean? like, yeah, you... Because in ECW, people still were like, oh, this goof, this goof, whatever. He's not really anything, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then once, I, once me and Morrison started getting together, I think people started looking, okay, maybe Morrison's the one that's, that's pulling, the, uh, pulling the weight on, in this tag team. Yeah. And Morrison's the worker. Morrison's the good one. Morrison's the blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and Morrison was awesome. Morrison taught me so much as a tag team. I'm so thankful for being on a tag team with him because as, as a worker, he was, he was, he's been there for a while. And, uh, you know, he would always, you know, you know, tell me what I'm doing wrong. He would show me just by watching him. I would learn a lot. Mm-hmm. So it always helped out being with him. And then once we separated, I felt like I had the confidence to be in a singles, you know, in the singles uh, realm, if you will. And they gave me, you know, who did they give me? They gave me the biggest star in the WWE at the time, John Cena. You know, so I'm like, okay, so I get to go up against John Cena now. And mm-hmm. I basically, I've never been through the wars. I haven't been through you know, a lot. I've only been there for probably uh, three years, which is a lot and not a lot at right. the same time. Well, I, I think it was interesting because when they, when you and Morrison were together, you guys were doing like the, I can't remember what you call it, like the Hollywood Minute Thirsty. or whatever it was. What's that? Thirsty. Right, yeah. Thirsty. And it, you got a chance to really kind of harness this this obnoxiousness that you had into, into being, you know, a, a great character. And another thing I remember was a big switch for you that led to you being taken more seriously against guys like Cena is when you changed your ring gear. You went from wearing kind of like the you know kind of the jean shorts and the and the fedora to just wearing tights. Was that was did somebody come up to you and say, "Listen, you need to dress more seriously, or need to change your gimmick, or or, or they just basically tell you you need to switch"? You will love this this story. So <laughs> I get a 
uh, I get Jeremy Piven comes to uh, some uh, uh, some show like we were doing guest guest hosts, you know. For yeah, guest hosts. Movie. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, we were doing guest hosts, and Jeremy Piven was one of the guest hosts, and uh, I ended up getting fired by Jeremy Piven uh, right. from WWE. So the next week we're in Calgary, and they want me to come back with a mask on my head and be absolutely in disguise. They don't want anyone to know, and I would go on. Uh, I was doing a contract on a pole match with Eugene. Okay. So me and Eugene wrestle, and I wrestle with a mask on, with with trunks, and uh, which is, by the way, I always never, I never wanted to wear trunks because I never wanted to be like everybody else. Right. Everybody else, you know, wore trunks and wore, you know, looked the same. I wanted to look different. I wanted to have a little pizzazz, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I always went with the uh, the shorts and the the. The, the gloves and yeah, the hat, and and hat. hat. Just very loud. Like I always loved characters in the WWE. Right. And so, what was your so name? What was your name under the I mask? Was, uh, Calgary Kid. <laughs> so I know. So I go. I, so they go. I come into the to the to you know I'm fired by the way. Right. And so I come in and they go. You do a contract on a pole match with Eugene. Uh, you're going to wear a mask and you're going to wear trunks. Uh, so you look. Absolutely different, and no one knows it's you. So we do the whole thing. I get through the match. I win the contract on a pole match. And, uh, you know, I, I reveal it's me, and everyone's booing. It was terrific. I get backstage, and uh, I go to Vince. I go, good. He goes, yeah, you got, you got good legs. And I'm like, uh, thanks. Thanks, Vince. Appreciate it. You know? And so the next, the next day is like a Wednesday. Uh, I, get a, I get a call from John Laurinaitis, and uh, uh, John Laurinaitis is like, miss it, miss uh, we were talking, and uh, we think that you should wear trunks now. Uh, Vince likes you in trunks. Thinks you have great legs, and uh, you think uh, I think you should wear trunks now. <laughs> and I was like, but Johnny, I've always prided myself on looking different and being different, and I think that's what and that accentuates the character. He goes, "Listen, do you want to be a top guy? Wear the trunks." And I go, "All right, I'm wearing trunks." <laughs> I'm in trunks. That's kind of where the trunks came in. I'm wearing trunks now. You were in trunks because your six uh, year old boss told you you had nice legs. Yeah, <laughs> I'm great with that. Let's talk about you know the the, the ascension to like to like you said you, they wanted you to be a top guy, and eventually you became as top as you can get by becoming the the WWE World Champion and even headlining WrestleMania. How was that for you? I mean, you'd only been in the company for five years, maybe at the time, six years, five years. Yeah, I would say about six years. I was in the, I was in the company. So and, I mean, uh, yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, so I mean, I was I was working hard, you know, doing what I had to do, and uh, you know, when 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 I went for the money in the bank, like there was a lot of top stars in that in that uh, in that uh, in that match. Right. Like, it was like Edge. I think you were in that match. Um, I believe so. Yeah, 2010. Yeah, Marie, I think it was. Marie yeah. Ended up, I think it was the first time anyone a girl actually went up a ladder. Uh, still talks about that to this day. Yes, yeah, so that was. And thanks you. Yeah. credits you all the time man chris jericho i can't believe he did that for me it was so nice blah 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 i was like yeah we had yeah, we had know, a spot match too, babe, you know? <laughs> we had the spot where she was with ted dibiase at the time and i thought and he wasn't really using her because he didn't know what to do with her and we had a thing where everyone bumped down off the ladder outside onto the floor and there just was a ladder set up and I, I came up with the idea where maurice would come in and sneak up the ladder to try and grab the the, the briefcase which has basically been stolen about six times but that was the first time like you said a girl had ever climbed the ladder that was great yeah and you exactly. ended up it was it was awesome. It was like it was so cool to uh, to have like that that kind of situation. And then 
that's where I won the the money in the bank, and that was kind of the where I said, okay, wow, maybe I'm actually going to do this. Maybe I'm actually going to get to the top of you know the WWE because back then. When you get the money in the bank, it was an automatic. You're basically winning the WWE. Champion. Yeah, the money in the bank. You would you would win the briefcase, which enabled you to get a title shot. And and every single time somebody cashed in that title shot from the money in the bank, they would win the title. Every yeah, time. So thanks for creating that match because probably without that match, I would never been WWE <laughs> champion. So, uh, so, so that works out well. But yeah, so I, I I get the money in the bank, and what happens usually when you win money in the bank, you lose a lot. Because you have money in the bank, you always have that in your uh, in your back pocket. Right. I ended up losing a lot, and I was thinking, man. And everyone on the internet, everyone all over the place, is saying, "Miz is going to be the first person to lose the the, the money in the bank." Yeah, when he's you cash it in, right? Lose it. Yeah, when you cash it in, he's going to be the first person to lose. Definitely going to be the Miz. And uh, I remember uh, I, I had the, the United States Championship at the time, and I think we were doing NXT as well. Me, you, yeah, uh, you were, you had Barrett, I had Daniel. Bro- Brian, and I think that the, the NXT was kind of a test for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you you never did this, but we had promo class at uh, at one point as well, where That's I think right. I really impressed Vince with my promos and just uh, just uh, Vince Vince there. Vince would have a, a class before TV and have ten or fifteen people in there to to teach you how to do promos before the show. It's yeah. called promo class. And literally, literally, he 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 throw out a word, and you'd have to revolve your your promo around that word. You know, yeah. he says umbrella, you have to sit there and work your, your promo around the umbrella, you know? Right. And uh, so it was, it was just a test to see how good and how quick witted you were. And on those tests, I'd always, you know, pass flying colors. And, and then when we had NXT, uh, I really got a, sh- a chance to shine because I had Daniel Bryan, the internet darling, you know, the person <laughs> that everyone loved all over the internet, but, and who is the person that the internet hates the most? <laughs> Me, because yeah. I'm a reality star. So what better pairing than to put us two together? So that really created a lot of rifts and stuff like that. And that's during the Money in the Bank, the United States Championship. I ended up losing to Daniel Bryan, the United States Championship. By the way, who you said, I will never forget this. You had the first match with Daniel Bryan, I believe, on NXT. Yeah. Um, and you, uh, and, and he did really, really well. And you actually went to Vince. I remember being in Gorilla, uh, and I remember you going to Vince, going, "This guy has it. He has it, Vince. You need to push him. You need to do something with him." That was after his first match. Yeah, I do remember that. That's funny because because everyone was kind of down on him because he was small or whatever. And you could, I mean, that, I already knew him anyways from that point. And that's also why the internet was so mad that you were paired with him because he'd already worked for so long and was so amazingly talented that I just knew he was going to make it. But then he had, he had a connection with the crowd even then. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So I, I just remember that. So then um, once we did that kind of feud with Daniel Bryan and he won the United States Championship, I just had the money in the bank. Uh, if we go on to Survivor Series where uh, Randy Orton is the, is, is, is the, the WWE champion. And uh, I thought Survivor Series was going to be it. I thought, man, maybe in Survivor Series I'll be the one that that's when I cash in. Mm-hmm. But that didn't happen. Uh, the next day on Monday, uh, I get the call saying, all right, you're cashing in today. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm cashing in. And I'm actually going to beat Randy Orton, who is the biggest, biggest baby face right now in the WWE. Right. So in Orlando, Florida, uh, I come out with the money in the bank. The crowd erupts. Like anyone that has the money in the bank, whether you're a bad guy or a good guy, the crowd erupts and just wants to see it happen. Because you can, you can cash it in at any time, at the end of a match, during a match, whatever. Exactly. So I, uh, 
I cash it in. Uh, I go up against Randy, and this time it's like usually when you cash it in, you cash it when the guy's half dead. Yeah. You just go in and just, and just cover him one, two, three. But Randy wasn't half dead, and we kind of had a match, and uh, I ended up winning Skull Crushing Finale, one, two, three. And I'll never forget like the emotion that, that went through like my entire body in a matter of like three minutes. Mm-hmm. Like it was from like, I can't believe I just made it to, uh, you know, choking up a little bit, but then realizing I'm on national television, I'm not going to cry. I'm a man. <laughs> and then like, you know, it's like, it's all these, these emotions, you know, you remember when you were a kid having it as, as a kid, like getting it from you as, as a Christmas present. Yeah. A toy know, belt. Title. Yeah. Yeah. Toy title and walking around with it. And now you have the real thing. Like all these emotions go through your head when you win it. And, uh, and I'll never forget the uh, angry Miz girl. Like people's reaction was just not. It was it was the perfect reaction for me because that's exactly what I wanted. I always wanted like people just to hate me. I don't know. I just have a knack for people hating on me. Explain so, explain uh, angry Miz girl. Angry Miz girl. So I win the title, and they they pan to the audience to see audience reaction. And some people are are you know a little like you know thumbs down, boo, whatever. Uh, you know, other, other people are cheering, jumping up and down. There was one little girl um, <laughs> that literally was just staring uh, and would not blink, would not, it was pissed off, frowning. She looked like uh, uh, Drew Barrymore in uh, the, the fire, fire starter. Yeah, that's right. You know, yeah, just, you know, that's exactly what she reminded me of. I was like, oh my God, if this girl had laser beams in her eyes, I would be dead. You know, she yeah. create fire. <laughs> She would, she would, she would fire set right you a now. fire, right? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it, it, the funny part was, I think she trended more than my, my championship did, like, angry Mizzle, angry Mizzle, angry Mizzle, and, and her, she was <laughs> They actually, like, they actually brought her on Raw, uh, uh, the week later or whatever, they found her and brought her on the show. Yeah, the next week, they, they bring her on and, and give her a, an award for, uh, uh, <laughs> uh the Slammy's, the, the, the Crown Participation Award, she wins it, I come out and take it from her, and, and, and walk away. So, uh. <laughs> So but, I mean, uh, so, the, yeah. so the reaction was there. Nobody could believe that you're the championship, and then you know, then like I, I remember you went on and, and you had the the tag team match against The Rock and Cena with our Truth. I mean, that was yeah. a huge step for you. Well, yeah, but the, also with the, the, when I won the WWE Championship, it wasn't that everyone couldn't believe it. It was it was amazing in the how different WWE is compared to Hollywood. Like in Hollywood, all like Us Weekly, In Touch, uh, MTV.com, TMZ. Everyone wanted a part of me. Like, as soon as I won, it was like news that really usually doesn't really uh, get WWE and, and, and yeah. promote WWE started coming to us and, and putting us in, like, stuff because I was the champion. It was incredible. I couldn't believe and it. And because of your, t- uh, your real-world background. Exactly, from the real-world ties. And, like, everyone wanted to interview with me. It was, it was pretty incredible. So, uh, so then I go on to main event WrestleMania. Don't remember it because I... Uh, I got knocked out during it and then uh, lost the title to Cena probably about, I had the title for about 150 days, which at the time, uh, this was before CM Punk's 400 days. By the way, yes, I do remember exactly how many days I had. <laughs> you know I was going to uh, say that. But hold on a second, though. Hold on a second, man. You, you can't just gloss over WrestleMania so you got knocked out. I mean, that you were in the main event of WrestleMania. Only 29 other matches can say that. Me being yeah, one I of them, know. by the way. Trust me, I, I, I know. You've told me many, many times, trust me. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people that literally will brag about it every chance I get. Like, no matter what, they can't. T- like, I remember you always telling me uh, they can never take away that I was the first undisputed champion. That's right. And I will, I, and you, you would always say, I don't care how many people hate it. I will t- talk about it every day of the week. That's right. I did that. Shove and it in the so throat. I, 
I literally took that as a, as a, as a, as a, as one of the things from you. And I said, you know what? I'm going to talk about this every chance I get because you know what? No one gets to do this. So how did you get knocked out during WrestleMania? Uh, I was, uh, we were in, it was during the match and we, uh, uh, I just took a, uh, an AA from, uh, from John Cena, one, two, I kick out of it. I roll to the ground and I'm basically trying to get away from Cena. Cena comes and I, I'm up on top of, uh, like a, a table and Cena basically tackles me off the table through uh, the bar- not through the barricade, but over the barricade. And once we landed, we landed on the concrete on the outside, and my head just bangs right up against the concrete. So how much time? Yeah. How, how far into the match was that? Was that near the end or in the middle? Or so, so now, so so what happens next is uh, I get knocked out. The Rock comes out, and we get counted out. Me and Cena get counted out. Uh, I end up retaining the title on a countout. The Rock was the host at the time. Rock comes out and says, uh, you know, The Rock says that, uh, you know, this, this uh, WrestleMania is definitely not going to end on a countout. This match is restarted uh, under uh, no disqualification. Anything can go. Mm-hmm. And, let's, and it restarts right now. So I start crawling back. I have no idea where I am, what I'm doing. I don't have any idea. All I remember is that The Rock, Rock Bottoms, John Cena, I cover John Cena, one, two, three. And I'm the champion. And, and I remember you texting me after this and you going, you going, Hey man, that's the best selling you've ever done. And I was like, I was knocked out, Chris. <laughs> I wasn't selling. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> wow. So, so do you, do you, rem- did you have to watch the, the match back to remember what happened? Yeah. I don't, I don't remember any of it. I don't, I, I still watch it back. And I don't, I don't like watching it back anymore. And you think, I'd want to watch it back more and more and more because that's one of the most memorable moments should be of my career. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to watch, you know, yourself getting knocked out and seeing yourself knocked out. It's kind of scary. No, absolutely. Especially when you can't remember it. It's like, it's like being an out of body experience or something along those lines. Exactly. But, but I mean, so, so yeah, but that, that was a, a huge time for you. Like you said, being the, the world champion and being, you know, the main event of WrestleMania. Something that happens in wrestling all the time, though, is you work up at the top, then you kind of go down, you work your way up, you kind of go down. What, what does the future hold for, for, for The Miz at this point in 2014? Have we seen the best work that you've done yet? No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think, I don't think uh, you know, if, if I asked you the same question, you would say, no, you haven't seen the Absolutely. Best. Like, of course. You know, that's, that's the mentality of a WWE superstar. Like, literally, when, you, when you're there, you want to basically put out the best you possibly can. And sometimes you're given, you know, crap, and you have to make... The, the best crap stew that you, anyone's ever seen. <laughs> That's right. Know? And, and, and sometimes, you know, and I mean, we talk about this all the time. Like, what do, what do I have to do? What can I do? And you sit there and you pitch ideas. You do what you have to do. And, and, and sometimes it catches on. Other times it doesn't. So mm-hmm. you, just, you just basically put your best work out there. And hopefully it catches on. And that's, that's what I've been doing, you know, for the past almost three, uh, like I would say three years. Whatever I'm given, I will always say, yes, I will do it. Like commentary, uh, doing the panels, you know, you know, doing whatever I can to make this company better and make my character better. Like I would rather do things that sometimes you go, why do you do all this stuff? Why don't you say no? And I say, because the same thing I said in the beginning of this interview, you never know what's going to happen or mm-hmm. what's going to trigger something to to make you the next great thing to come out. Do you think Daniel Bryan's yes, yes, yes was on purpose? I guarantee it was an accident that, that he just started doing and it right. caught on like wildfire. And sometimes that kind of stuff happens. Like you look at Zack Ryder's, you know, uh, YouTube show, you know, is each long a story. I mean, remember how huge he became, you know, with the woo, 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 you know it and stuff. And so you never know what's going to trigger something to make you the next big thing. 
Well, and so that's what everyone waits for. And, 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 and sometimes it happens on accident. Sometimes it happens on purpose, but you never know when it's going to happen or where. See, the good thing for you, though, and, and you you are a lot like like my character, and that they know they can put you in any situation, and you're going to make it entertaining. And, and a lot of times, they I remember one time Vince made me uh, referee a, a match with a, a XFL jersey with he hate me on the back of it because I said why he goes well because we're trying to get this guy over but he's not even here he's not in the match just wear it so I'm refereeing a match with no reason having he hate me on a on a jersey on the back of it because it's like well give it to Jericho he'll do it he'll make it good and you you're in the same category so even though, like you said sometimes you think this is a really ridiculous uh, segment you're in it because they expect you and know you can make it good and sometimes the most ridiculous segments create like magic you know that's right like i remember when when vince wanted me to be uh when i was doing the wwe championship stuff he wanted me to dress up like the rock and come out as the rock and i was like oh my god like no way like no one's gonna believe that i'm the rock yeah Number one, i'm not six six uh you <laughs> yeah. know i'm not you know i'm not samoan you know and i don't have <laughs> tattoos there's no way anyone's gonna believe that that i'm gonna do that and i actually went to him and i said vince there's no way this is gonna work he goes trust me it'll work and i was like all right fine so I, I put on a bald wig, I put on a, you know sunglasses, I put on the Rock T-shirt. I walk out to the Rock's music. I swear to you, the crowd erupted. There was a, the first <laughs> crowd erupted for the song. Then I walk out, the crowd erupts even more. I'm like, and in my head, I'm going, oh my god, he was right. This is working. And so I literally do the whole Rock thing, and it took the audience probably, I would say, a good 30 seconds to realize that it wasn't The Rock. <laughs> they were so excited that The Rock was there. That they didn't care. They were, just, they were jumping up and down and hugging each other. And it, it was one of my most memorable moments. And I thought it was going to drizzle and be terrible and be flat. And it was one of the best moments. Once so, again. You never know. It, do you remember when we had a match and, and he wanted Fandango to come out and start dancing during our match? Oh, yeah. Pissed off? Yeah, and the, yeah, yeah, exactly. He wanted we were wrestling. He wanted Fandango to dance, and we were just going to stop, and that was going to be the end of it, or, or some ridiculous thing like that. Uh, I mean, <laughs> like you said, man, a lot of times Vince just books stuff and throws it at you, and go, "You figure it out. I just book it. Your job is to make it good." Yeah, I mean, and 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 we did, and and it came out pretty pretty. It good, did. I would say. It did. It, it was good, man. But before I let you go, man, what's your favorite match of all time? Favorite match of all time. Uh, you'll probably laugh at me and, uh, you know, everyone else, uh, you know, I, I, it was always like Undertaker versus Mankind in the Hell in the Cell. But uh, I've been watching back a lot of Ultimate Warrior since he was, uh, he was he was inducted to the Hall of Fame. And by the way, Ultimate Warrior was my favorite back when I was a kid growing up. I would put streamers on my arm, paint my face, and run around and annoy my I loved Ultimate time. Warrior. Yeah, you don't, have to, you don't yeah. have to sell me on it. I love Ultimate Warrior. So I always love Hogan versus, uh, versus Ultimate Warrior. Well, that, no, that's, know, a, that's, always, a, that's a great match, but I meant your favorite match that you were actually in. Oh, but that I was actually in? I mean, I would have to say, you know, main event of WrestleMania. Yeah. You know, or any match that I was in with Chris Jericho. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect answer, my son. Very good job, Grasshopper. <laughs> Miz, I know you're heading over to SmackDown right now, and I appreciate you taking the time. And like I said, it's always a, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And you're one of my favorite characters in the WWE, and uh, you always do great work for sure. Yeah, man, and I always appreciate you, uh, you know, always giving me uh, advice. Uh, as much as uh, people think, like, I do things on my own, uh, I actually take a lot of advice from you. I remember one time I was, uh, I was on, uh, like, uh, I was doing something, and I was pissed off because I was like, I'm better than this. I was, I'm a former WWE champion. I can't believe I'm in this spot, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, listen, any spot that you're in, 
is the main thing. That's the way you have to go out there and do it. Everything that <laughs> yes. it, it took it from Spicoli, but uh, but it's, I was like, I, and I've always taken that with me and said, okay. If I'm, yeah. I hate something I'm in, it's the coolest place on earth. That's exactly right, man. Well, like I yeah. said, dude, I appreciate it, and thank you so much, and, uh, and and good luck tonight on the show. Yeah, man, great interview, and thanks a lot uh, for putting me on your uh, your podcast, man. Good luck with this, man. And so far, it seems like it's going uh, really great. It seems like you're always number one. So yeah. it's going to be on the number one podcast and show, baby. There you go, baby. It's going to go. It's going to go down to about number ten now that I've had you on it. But I'll I'll take I it. Doubt that. I think your, your numbers are going to go through the roof. That's what <laughs> WWE do when they need to move. When they need to move the needle, they put the Miz in there. That's right, baby. All right, man. All right. Talk to you soon, brother. Later, bro. Thanks, Bye. Man. The always uh, talkative Miz. And what he was talking about was Fast Times at Ridgemont High, where it's actually Damone that tells Rat, wherever you are, act like it's the place to be. Look at this. Isn't this great? And that was the advice I gave him. <laughs> now it's time to hit the phone lines. Did you catch the number on the Twitter? Ah, you got to pay attention, people. You never know when you're going to get your chance. At Talk is Jericho. I'll always fire a warning shot and let you know the uh, possible times I'm going to be posting the number. But when I do, you get your shot. Nothing's off limits, so go ahead and ask what is up. Walter in Maryland. What's going on, man? All right. Hey, what's going on, Chris? Thank you for having me on the Pot of Thunder and Rock and Roll. Nice. (laughs) Thanks for for listening, man. Hey, thanks. You, You remember me? Like We met like four times. Remember the first time in Baltimore I wore the sparkly shirt? Oh, yeah. And then I saw you... Yeah, and then I saw you last time at Pittsburgh. Yeah, man, I remember. How's it yeah, going? How you doing, man? I'm doing it's good. Doing great. Good. What's your question? That's good. I, uh, my question is, um, the times do the times. Just let you know, I followed you through your career, not just the wrestling, but heavy metal, like through your bands, right. game shows, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But my question is, do the times that you've been through the WWE, right? You know, how you always reinvent yourself. Everything's always something new. Yeah. What is your favorite like gimmick you had? Like, what, like what was your favorite like the Y2J gimmick with the sparkly um, shirts? Yeah, I mean, it's I like I liked. I mean, I like quite a few of them, but I'd have to say that probably my favorite that worked. I mean, the original Y2J was was a great gimmick, but I, I think that. Yeah, time, absolutely. Time, that's my. That's my that's my personal favorite. That's yeah, your favorite, but I, I think my favorite though is the is the two thousand and eight. Uh, best in the world at what I do, heel with the suit and tie. The suit and tie Jericho is probably my favorite. Um, Calling people as hypocrites and parasites and SAT words and all that? Yeah, yeah SAT words, exactly. <laughs> I, I just had really learned a lot about acting and really learned a lot about the business, and that was the best gimmick that I ever had as far as getting legitimate heat. I mean, people were attacking me on the street for real. Uh, people, people legitimately did not like me, and it was a real cool combination of kind of Nick Bockwinkle and Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old from Men. Most old men, yeah. Yeah, so it was uh, that was probably my favorite. Got the most heat and had the longest run with it. It was like two and a half years of of being kind of the one of the most hated people in the business, um, which is never easy to do because it's 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 a lot easier to make people hate you than it is to make them like you. But it's a real trick to keep keep them hating you, you know. Because yeah. I mean, if some of the best uh, bad guys of all time. Uh, you know, they, they end up being good guys like Darth Vader or Freddy Krueger or Hannibal Lecter because they're so entertaining that by the second or third movie, they become the heroes of the movie. And that, that was kind of what was happening with that Chris Jericho character. But I was able to keep them hating me for the longest time. And then I had to switch it. 
Right. I mean, but you did a good job. At first, I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, and then it grew on me. And then I started doing the same thing, like, myself. Like, I started putting, like, words of the week, new words you put up. And I had to look it up online, what it means. And then, yeah. <laughs> well, remember, Walter, uh, I am not your, your, your role model. <laughs> it's not a good thing to try and, and emulate Chris Jericho, but I appreciate your call. Uh, very, very cool question. Let's move over to Massachusetts and see what's happening in Adam's world. How you doing, Adam? Hey, what's up, Chris? How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. What's your question? Huge, huge fan since uh, since the J Cup days. But uh, wow, old couple, school. That's twenty, almost twenty years ago. Yeah, for real. I've been been following you for a long time. Couple questions. The first question is about music. Um, if you could put together a band of of, um, I would say more so current um, heavy metal guys like. You know, your your top drummer, your top bass player, your top singer, your top guitarist. Just wondering who you would comprise that band of. Are we talking about a heavy metal band or a rock and roll band? Um, I would, I would, I'm leaning more towards heavy metal. All right. Well, uh, alive or dead or just in the history of the, of the business? Um, I, I would say either or, alive, dead. I mean, the, the, obviously, the right mix would, you know, with some live. Well, guys if, if, if we're yeah, if we're going, let's let's go, let's go for, for for guys that have passed away just for fun. Let's put okay. uh, let's put um, the Rev from Avenged Sevenfold on drums. We'll put yep. we'll put Cliff Burton on bass. We'll throw Ra- Randy Rhodes on guitar. And what about Dime Bag? We'll put Dime on the other guitar. You got to have two players, okay. man. See how they okay. gel, and then singer. We'll put Bon Scott in there. That works. What a band that would be, man! What a band. That- you know, that would be crazy. We, you know, if there if there's a rock and roll heaven, you know they've got a hell of a band. Um, right, right. As, as far as guys that are still alive, um, we're going heavy metal. Uh, let's put Bruce Dickinson on vocals. We'll throw yep. uh, James Hetfield on rhythm guitar. Okay. Um, actually, let me rephrase that. Let's put Paul Stanley on vocals, James Hetfield on rhythm guitar, Eddie Van Halen on lead guitar, Steve Harris on bass. And I will put on drums. I'm gonna throw Chad Smith on drums from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He's one of my favorite drummers, man. I think that guy can That'd do nice it all. Thing. Yeah, That's you nice. know, I play I play drums too, so so I'm a big Chad Smith fan. I would say maybe Dave Lombardo in there too, but all right. it might be a little bit different for that style. Well, there you go, man. Yeah, there's a lot of different styles you could do. I think Chad's got more of a groove, and if you're playing with Eddie Van Halen, you need that more than the double bass. I got See? you. See, you gotta gotta think of the whole chemistry, man. But Adam, absolutely, man. Thank you for listening. Very cool question, man. Can, can I get you? Can I get one quick, quick question? One other quick question in there. Uh, I'm gonna have to go to the board. Hold on a second. Okay, you can ask another question. All right. My other question is again, huge fan. When you made the jump from WCW to to WWE, I was I was all you know I was completely blown away. I'm the original Lionheart fan. Cool. And, and my question is, when you came out on Raw that night, I was pumped up, and you did your little thing with The Rock, and I was kind of disappointed because I felt like they almost squashed you a little bit in terms of they let Rock almost take over that whole promo, and it almost took away a lot of your thunder and rock and roll. Whoa. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell's going on? You know what I mean? Let, let, let Y2J make this impact and... and and come out, and, and they kind of like let Rock do his stuff that he. Well, you, you have to remember a couple things. You have to remember a couple things. First of all, The Rock was the biggest star in the business at the time, by far, the biggest, right. biggest star. 
So just by having me come out and interrupt him, that was my impact. Number two, I was a heel. I wasn't supposed to get the better of The Rock because I was the bad guy. He was the good guy. Number three, I had just come from WCW, and it was war. It was a real-life, actual war. So for me to come in, I was in enemy territory and was treated as such. So it was kind of like there was a lot of different things um, that you have to think about, but the most important thing is that is that I did get the big debut. I did get to interrupt The Rock and had the whole month-long countdown and all that sort of stuff. So it really was the, the hugest possible impact I could make, but I still wasn't part of the WWE uh, club at that point in time. So there was still a growing process, and there was still a lot that I had to think about and a lot I had to learn, and all that is kind of uh, des- described in my second book, Undisputed, and my third book, Best in the World, at What I Have No Idea, comes out October 13th. That was just a shameless, cheap plug, but I can do that. Thanks for your calls. Thanks, Adam in Massachusetts for calling in. Stay tuned for future warnings. Warning, warning, warning on the Twitter at Talk is Jericho, and you will uh, find out when you can call in and get the number and do so. Now, because I love all of you so much, you've been so good to me, here's how uh, you can win one of those great STP prize packs I was telling you about earlier. I'm going to give you something for free, and here's what you get. A fruit STP t-shirt. I'm wearing one now. A couple of beer koozies. Keep your beer nice and cold. And some stickers, right? I mean, who doesn't love free swag? Especially free STP swag. Put them stickers on your car. Put them on your bike. Look real badass. Look like a cool, cool person. All you got to do is tweet, I love STP, to at Talk is Jericho on the Twitter. Once again, tweet, I love STP, to at Talk is Jericho, and I will randomly select five lucky winners to take home one of the STP prize packs. Can you do that? All right, as soon as this show airs, I will check the Twitter, and I will randomly select five people. Tweet, I love STP, to Talk is Jericho, and you can win. See? It's that easy. So thank you for doing that. Thanks for listening, and thanks for linking to Amazon through the Talk is Jericho page at podcast1.com. Every time you do your shopping that way, Amazon kicks back a little cash to the show so I can keep bringing you the Pot of Thunder twice a week for free. So thanks for hitting that download button also. In fact, if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend to check out the show, tell them to tell a couple of friends, and so on, and so on, and so on. And if you really like it, hit the subscribe button at iTunes so you never miss an episode. The episode will go directly to your device, free of charge. So, that's all I got. Thanks to The Miz for joining me. And on Friday, Howie Mandel. That's a real A-lister, people. I got an A-lister on my show just for you. So we'll see you on Friday. Peace, love, hugs. God bless you all. Stay cool, stay hungry. We'll see you on Friday. Yeah, boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's podcastone.com. Podcast One.com.